Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for April 10th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and television news. This is Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson, and joining me today on the show are Slash Film weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me, guys. Let's go ahead and cannonball. I, I always say let's dive into the news. Let's cannonball into the news today. Let's start with HT. Uh, a Quiet Place writer's apparently already have some ideas in place for a sequel. This movie's doing pretty well at the box office. Tell us what they said about a potential sequel. Yeah, so well, you know whenever there is a, a horror hit, it often spawns at least three sequels, maybe a video game or a theme park ride. Who knows along the lines? And A Quiet Place is doing really well at the box office. It scored the second best opening ever for an original horror movie, and it has turned John Krasinski... Uh, a former an actor turned director into a new rising directorial star. So uh, screenwriters for A Quiet Place, Brian Woods and Scott Beck, revealed that they already have a handful of A Quiet Place sequel ideas in place. So at a press conference for the movie, Woods and Beck said that they would be open to the idea of writing a sequel to the critically, critically acclaimed horror movie. Woods told Fandango, it's such a fun world. There's so many things that you could do. And then they revealed that they have just many discarded set pieces and other ideas hiding out on Word documents on their computer. And at the end of the day, um, who are these characters and what does this situation mean to that, di that dynamic? So essentially they'd be open to also doing uh, more about this this family that's led by John Krasinski and Emily Blunt in, this, uh, in the movie that we've seen, or doing something that's similar to the approach of the Purge series in that we follow characters who are entirely different from the ones that we first meet, battling the same creatures in the same post-apocalyptic sort of wasteland. So that would be a really interesting approach as well. Yeah, it's encouraging to me that they specifically say at the end of the day, who are the characters in the story and what does that situation mean to the dynamic? Because that means that they're not planning on just throwing in those discarded set pieces just, you know, in, in order to sort of cross it off a list and, and uh, get it in there. It seems like they're really, if they are going to come back for this movie, which we should say is not uh, greenlit yet, a sequel to A Quiet Place has not been officially greenlit yet, but it's probably only a matter of time. Uh, it's encouraging that they're not just going to 
take their leftovers basically and, and dump it out on the table. Um, it seems like they're actually going to put some care into picking and choosing why and, and you know, what, <laughs> which is basically like basic screenwriter stuff. But uh, I feel like sometimes with um, sequels getting greenlit like this, you can get into that, fall into that trap of like, this is a cash grab kind of thing. And it sounds like just from their conversation in here that uh, that hopefully won't be the case uh brad did you have a chance to see a quiet place yet i know that hc and i have seen it i have not seen it yet i'm actually going to see it sometime this week awesome yeah i look forward to hearing what you think about that um maybe you can come back on the show and let us know uh all don't right. eat popcorn <laughs> yeah <laughs> all the all the crunching that would uh throw things off so um yesterday on the podcast we talked about westworld and how uh, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, who are the creators and showrunners of the show, um, essentially offered up a strange promise. They said that if enough people upvoted their um, post on Reddit, they would release a video that um, spoils the entire second season of the show in order to reveal the information to a select group of gatekeepers, and the hope would be for those people to then be able to sort of guide or control the flow of information across the internet um, and in the hopes of like protecting people who didn't want to be fully spoiled for what's going on. So it, it was a, uh, a strange idea <laughs> to say the least. And we talked a lot about that yesterday. Uh, last night they did reach their requirement of one or of a uh, 1000 upvotes and they released a video on Reddit. And I guess I should say, spoilers for Westworld season two coming up, but not really, I mean like a little bit, but if you guys have, so I'll, I'll put it this way. When I went on Reddit last night and saw this video, a lot of people in that community were had not watched it on purpose because they were not wanting to be spoiled and they therefore they didn't know what was in this video. And I'm gonna tell you and right now what is in this video. So if you don't wanna know at all, then skip ahead five minutes or something like that in the podcast and we'll go from there so final warning uh this video begins with it appears to be legitimate uh jeffrey wright who plays bernard on the show is narrating what seems to be some pretty real plot points we see some footage that we've never seen before of his character waking up on a beach and um meeting the head of Delos security and he slowly begins remembering what happens to him and then all of a sudden he walks into the main western town I think it's called Sweetwater in the show and we see Angela Serafian I believe that's how you pronounce her name the actress who plays Clementine and Evan Rachel Wood who plays Dolores on the show playing the piano and singing Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. So this whole thing was an elaborate Rick roll by Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy on the entire fandom of Westworld. And uh, yeah, the Reddit loves the song. So considering Nolan is like a, a really uh, big Reddit guy, it makes sense that he would cater to their specific audience with that gag. Um, but I'm curious what you guys think about this after our discussion yesterday. Uh, and and what do you think about this whole thing, This this elaborate head fake um ht let's start with you since we talked about it yesterday well i feel fooled thanks a lot westworld even though i'm not even that quite invested it in it i was very intrigued by whatever this fake idea was at the beginning you know the, um this idea of revealing spoilers but we were just it was just an elaborate troll which yes they got us and yes we probably shouldn't have fallen for it but you know well 
whatever. It's it was it was on Reddit, and um, maybe only a select few actually did find out what it was. But man, that's <laughs> I feel a little disappointed in myself. I guess I could say. Uh, Brad, what do you think about all this? I mean, it's kind of a fun thing that they did because it's it's a pretty elaborate prank. Like they did shot a whole video, you know, with Evan Rachel Woods singing "Never Gonna Give You Up." Um, and so it's, I, I kind of like that they're messing with it a little bit, but at the same time, it, it would have been kind of an interesting experiment to see what would happen if you did do something like that. Um, and plus, they they kind of had, like did like a, a long lead into it, too, because they had like a conversation a couple weeks ago about, well, we have like a, a controversial uh, plan as to how to approach fan theory or something like that coming up, and we'll be announcing that soon, and it's like, Man, you guys like you you teased a joke that you were planning. Yeah. Um, so I like, if they should have uh, released it on April first instead of waiting a couple of weeks after. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, it would have been pretty perfect with that, and it would have made a lot more sense, I think, and and maybe would not have angered people because I've I've saw a lot of people on Twitter last night when this happened get like actually sort of like upset at, at Nolan and Joy for doing this because. It's uh, it seemed almost like mean spirited in a way. Brad, do you think it's mean spirited, or do you think they're just like having a good time and this is Reddit humor come to life? It must be really nice to have that be the thing that you get mad about. I mean, there <laughs> there are stupid things happening around the entire country right now, and if this, is the, if this is the thing you're getting mad about, you must lead a pretty privileged life. Like, give me a break. It's an internet joke. It doesn't harm anybody or anything. Like, grow up, guys. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's... Oh, actually, before we fully move on to that, Brad, it sounds like you would kind of be interested in seeing this kind of uh, experiment actually come to pass. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I would I would be interested to see what what fan bases would do and how, it, if, it, if it would make it easier to avoid spoilers or if it would, uh, if it would make it more difficult because you would have jerk, a lot more jerks who would know the information and intentionally try to spoil things. Um, I, I don't know, because like, I, I feel like it would be an interesting experiment to do, and it really only works if you do it with shows that do have a, a rabid fan base that are always trying to figure things out, or where spoilers actually matter. Like, you couldn't do it for, you know, like, um, the Goldberg. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. You know, because, like, no one cares about spoilers for that, for that show, but... Uh, I don't know, I'm not... I don't even know what I would do if that were the case. Like, I would... I feel like I would be so tempted to find out all the things but i also love the idea of letting it unfurl on its own mm -hmm. it's it would be interesting i don't know ht you would definitely watch the video right if it was real uh, i don't know really actually. wow yeah. i mean with all your your talk about uh with your entire mentality about spoilers i assume that would be like a, a no hesitation response from you well i actually i'm also not caught up with westworld so oh, right right, right. Yep. i probably would wait to see whether i am invested enough in the show to want to go see it but yeah i don't know it it, it actually it hasn't come to pass so i'm not sure what i would actually do yeah fair enough uh all right so let's move on to our next topic and that is a new book from jrr tolkien called the fall of gondolin is coming out this summer brad tell us about this yeah it looks like we're getting a, a new tolkien book that is being edited by christopher tolkien so keeping it in the family um, it is the final work of the author who brought us Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and The Cimmerillion, and it will uh, basically be the the end of everything that Tolkien uh, worked on before. Um, and it's kind of, I guess, kind of, you know, a 
coming full circle uh, with all, all the things that he's created in Middle Earth. And it's uh, definitely a very nerdy piece of writing, as anybody who has read Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and whatnot can attest to. There's a lot of uh, fantasy characters and details and things that, unless you've read the entire scope of J.R. Tolkien's books, you probably won't really know what's going on. I won't even read through the entire official synopsis, because if I did, you just wouldn't you know, know half of it unless you know all the various characters. Uh, but needless to say, it involves plenty of elves um, and evil characters and, and magic and half-elves and half-humans and, and all this sort of thing. Action, adventure, excitement. Um, what's kind of weird to me is that Gondolin kind of looks just like Gondor. And I don't know, it just seems like they kind of phoned in that uh, the name for that place. <laughs> I mean, I think but, that that probably happens, that happens a lot in uh, Game of Thrones. And I know that George R. R. Martin was highly influenced by J.R. Tolkien and uh, Tolkien and Martin both were, were definitely influenced by like real things in history and in terms of like family lineages and stuff like that. So it's a lot of like, uh, you know, characters named Robert and then, you know, a generation later, another character named Robert or somebody with a name that's like just one letter off from a previous name. So maybe it's uh, sort of a nod to that, like the, the really old school method of, of naming things and nomenclature and all that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's um, fair. Um, I think the biggest question that we have with, with this now is uh, whether this is something that... Um, could be part of Amazon's upcoming plan to adapt Tolkien's work. Uh, we know that they're working on a, a big series adaptation of the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy, and whether that um, stories from this book or you know and any of the other books that Tolkien has written that have ties to this will be included uh, remains to be seen. I'm not really sure how the rights work out because I know you know. Um, some people have rights to do things with certain titles while others don't like that's uh, the Cimmerillion rights were, you know, never really accessible for a while. Um, so it's, it's hard to say where this new book falls in into play. If like a separate deal would need to be crafted for it, or if it's, it's definitely part of the Tolkien estate, but it, it's not really clear if the entire Tolkien estate is covered in, you know, Amazon's deal or, or anything like that. So who knows? Yeah, it's really interesting because um, we know that the new Amazon, the Amazon show is going to be set before the events of Fellowship of the Ring, but we don't know exactly how long before. And these events from from this book, um, I, I think, predate the Lord of the Rings trilogy by like probably thousands of years in the in the yeah. world, the realm of Middle Earth. So it was also reportedly one of the first stories that he wrote. Uh, so it was kind of him sort of testing out the waters and forming the ideas that would eventually form the Lord of the Rings trilogy and series. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the the idea of like the Cimmerillion, like the rights being um, sort of tied up, I think part of that was due to Christopher Tolkien himself. So he is actually 93 years old. He's the son of J.R.R. Tolkien, and he really hates all of the movie adaptations of that Peter Jackson did. And he essentially stepped down as the head of the Tolkien estate because he's getting so old. And then right after that is when this Amazon deal happened. So it led us to believe at, you know, at that point that maybe more Lord of the Rings properties and, and stuff like the adaptations and things like that could be in the works. But if this book 
is being edited by Christopher Tolkien, which it is, and, and all of J.R.R. Tolkien's posthumous novels has been, I wonder if the people involved at the Tolkien estate will sort of separate everything that he worked on in order to honor his legacy and his preferences. Um, because I feel like to have him step down and and release this book and then immediately throw the rights to all of this stuff into the Amazon deal would be sort of a slap in the face to him. Um, so I don't know. It, it remains to be seen. But uh, HC, do you think that based on the super nerdy uh, breakdown of what this plot is supposed to be, is this something you would be interested in seeing uh, adapted for the small screen? Mm, I'm not sure because it does seem like very dense sort of tome and not even something that has a really cohesive narrative, I think. I feel, I get the feeling it'll be something more along the lines of just several sort of vignettes told in like maybe this this uh this one city less so than like a strong story that we see in lord of the rings mm -hmm. um so i i don't know if i'd want to see it adapted for a tv series i think that amazon already already has their hands full with the lord of the rings series so i don't know if they can really handle this one as well right um i do i am interested in picking it up to read but yeah i'm not really sure if it would really suit a tv adaptation just because it just seems so sprawling and dense Speaking of uh, something that's sprawling and dense and p possibly told over a series of vignettes, uh, Isaac Asimov's Foundation is being made into an Apple TV series. Uh, and David Goyer and Josh Friedman are behind this. Um, HG, tell us about this one. Yeah, so Apple has just landed the rights to a Foundation TV series that's going to be adapted by David S. Goyer and Josh Friedman. David S. Goyer is best known for uh, being the screenwriter for Batman v Superman, Man of Steel, uh, Dark Knight, whereas Josh Friedman is a uh, writer for War of the Worlds, but he also penned uh, the Terminator, Sarah Con Connor Chronicles. So they both have their feet in both TV and movies, but this will be a TV series for Apple, who has, um, which is a platform that's sort of steadily expanding its oeuvre of uh, TV series, including that Reese Witherspoon um, drama, uh, M. Night Shyamalan thriller, uh, a La La Land, uh, oh, not La La Land, a Damien Chazelle drama as well. So there's a lot of, they're, they're building up a lot of um, TV, really interesting TV series, and this kind of adds to that catalog as well. So um, Foundation, for those who don't know, is a series of novels written by Isaac Asimov, who's one of the most influential sci-fi authors um, in history. And it tells the story of a, or it's a saga rather, that follows humans scattered across a galaxy on different planets ruled by the Galactic Empire. So you can see shades of this story that in uh, George Lucas's original Star Wars movies, for example, and it's been influenced everything from Lucas to uh, George R. R. Martin to Paul to real life public figures like Paul Krug Krugman and Newt Gingrich. So it has wide influences. I haven't read Foundation series, um, but it's definitely a really influential sort of watershed sci-fi novels um, series of, of novels. So it's and it's also one that's been kind of deemed unadaptable too because um, several filmmakers throughout the decades have tried to uh, their hand at adapting this and a couple years ago Jonathan Nolan tried to develop it for an HBO series but that fell through. 
Interesting. Uh, I have heard about Foundation for years, and I have never actually read it myself. Brad, uh, are you going to be our saving grace here as the sole person on this podcast who has read Isaac Asimov's Foundation? I have not read Isaac Asimov's Foundation. I'm sorry to disappoint you. That's all you do for me, Brad, is just disappoint me left and right. Uh, no, I'm just like, just like Just like my parents. Oh. Um, okay, yeah, so I think, HD, you, you pretty much, since none of us have actually read it and can't really comment on the uh, the filmability of something like the adaptability of this, uh, I think we'll probably leave this there. But it does sound like um, a very, very intense, sprawling um, saga that I am very interested to see if David S. Goyer and, and Josh Friedman can work something out here i goyer's work over the past few years has um has dipped in quality for me personally but i feel like friedman is one of those guys who could surprise people so uh i'm i actually really liked terminator the sarah connor chronicles when that was on tv so i'm interested to see what uh how those two work together especially on something as high profile and, and recognizable as this uh, let's move on to our next story, and that is a Rogue One character that was hidden in the Solo A Star Wars Story trailer. Brad, yesterday we had you on in the feature presentation to go over your trailer breakdown for Solo A Star Wars Story. Tell us about this one. Yeah, this is something that uh, we missed, and I, I think a lot of people probably missed, just because uh, it's a, a minor character uh, that appeared in Rogue One that has a little bit of a cameo in the uh, tra- most recent trailer for Solo, A Star Wars Story. And it's not necessarily anything groundbreaking, but it, it is kind of interesting because the character itself is a bounty hunter uh, by the name of Tam P- Posla. I'm going to guess that's how it's pronounced, probably. Um, this character was is one of those kind of obscure side characters that just makes an appearance in a background in a movie. You know, there's plenty of different aliens and characters who all get expanded uh, backstories and comic books and TV shows, video games, and all that jazz. And th- this was one of those characters. Um, he's part of uh, this group called the Milvane Authority, which are kind of like a group of interstellar law enforcement agents. But he's gone rogue, and he's become a bounty hunter, and he's gone well outside of his jurisdiction in pursuit of characters going by the names Rufu and Saki. What's kind of cool about that is those are actually aliases for Dr. Evanzon and Ponda Baba, who Star Wars fans will tell you are the two characters who hassle Luke Skywalker at the Moss Eisley Cantina in the original Star Wars. Um, so this bounty hunter is after them. Uh, that's why he was on Jeddah in Rogue One, and he survived the attack on Jeddah, wasn't around when uh, the Galactic Empire blasted the city with uh, a lower-level Death Star blast. And so he, apparently it looks like uh, some point before that, since I, as far as I know, I'm pretty sure Han, the solo movie takes place before the events of Rogue One, since Rogue One leads directly into uh, A New Hope. Right. So um, maybe he's checking out shady locations because he's, uh, you know, or still on um, or on the hunt for Ponda Baba and Dr. Evans on before, because as we all know, one of them has the death sentence on 12 systems. So they're probably doing some pretty freaky stuff all around the galaxy, and this guy is just chasing them around. Um, It would be interesting to see if this character has anything more than just a quick background role. We see him standing behind Han Solo in a conversation he's having with Lando at uh, the bar that we don't really know where it's at. Mm -hmm. So um, don't know if maybe he'll have some kind of entanglement with Han Solo. We know that Han frequently has issues with bounty hunters, so maybe there's something there, but... I'm betting that it's probably just a, a little, cool little background uh, inclusion that just 
keeps fleshing out the can and, you know, uh, uses characters and continues to expand those backstories. So I think this is probably a good opportunity for them to drop this into a comic book or, you know, uh, one of the novels or something, the spinoff novels that they're always working on. Um, I have not uh, really gotten into any of that. Um, what's the word? Um, that I want to say auxiliary, but that's not the one, the right word, but, uh, expanded. Yeah. Ancillary. Yeah. Ancillary. There we go. Thank you, Brad. Uh, Brad, you, you didn't disappoint me. You're doing something right. There we go. Um, yeah, the, <laughs> the ancillary materials for any of the, the star Wars stuff, but I'm, I'm know that Brad, like you watched, um, rebels. Have you gotten into any of the, the books or the comics or anything like that? I have read the primary Star Wars comics. Um, I also read some of the Darth Vader comics, but then I fell behind. Um, this this character, actually, Tamposla, is, is apparently a secondary character in the Dr. Aphra comic book series, which I actually really don't know anything about. That's one that I um, haven't ventured into or really read anything about, so I'm not really sure um, how prominent his role is there or even what that whole comic book arc is about. Um, but yeah, I've read some of the stuff and honestly, the comics are, are really good. The way it fleshes out the galaxy and utilizes characters, um, and fills in gaps between the movies and things like that. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, HG, have you read any of those, any of the I books, haven't. books or the comics or anything? No, I'm not really into the star Wars ancillary <laughs> ancillary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ancillary, um, universe. Fair enough. Uh, well, I'm sure that all of us can agree that we, we would love to see a Dave Bautista universe where he's just wandering around kicking ass and is the lead in a bunch of different movies. And it seems like that may be forming, not that the, the next few projects that he's involved with are actually going to be connected in the same set in the same cinematic world. But uh, but Dave Bautista, the guy who starred in Guardians of the Galaxy as Drax, is going to be uh, headlining a couple new movies. Uh, HG, tell us about those. Yeah, so Dave Bautista is kind is making his leap to leading man role. He's kind of gone a different route than his other former actor turned wrestler uh, colleagues, uh, such as John Cena and The Rock. And he is he's been sort of making his name in supporting roles and got his breakout role in as Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy. And since then, he's been kind of plugging away and making really great supporting turns in uh, movies such as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One and Two, and also Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Now he is stretching his comedy chops in two action comedies. The first one is 20th Century Fox's Stuber, which co-stars Kumail Nanjiani and, from The Big Sick and Iko Uwais. Uwais? I'm sorry for mispronouncing his name. From The Raid 2. Uh, and uh, it's a mismatched detective buddy comedy with Kumail Nanjiani about a uh, determined detective played by Bautista who commandeers an unsuspecting Uber and its driver who's played by Nanjiani and it, it results in a nights of mayhem and hijinks. So it sounds like a lot of fun and it sounds like it'll definitely stretch um, Bautista's comedy chops that we saw him first use in Guardians of the Galaxy. And then he's also starring in another one under STX Entertainment that's an untitled action comedy about a hardened CIA operative who finds himself at the mercy of of a precocious nine-year-old girl. And um, that one is going to be written by John Eric Hober, who were behind the 2010 action comedy Red. So he's he's putting a lot of things on his plate and it seems like he knows what his niche is because he really did well as Drax and kind of was the standout role in that as not really the like 
comedic relief, but he did so well with that really that stoic sort of um, comedy balance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think uh, the idea of uh, Batista playing a hardened CIA operative who finds himself at the mercy of a nine-year-old girl has me rolling my eyes so hard. <laughs> but the other project, Stuber, that one sounds really interesting and very much up my alley. Brad, are you, as our resident comedy expert, does this sound appealing to you? Do you think Dave Batista has the uh, the acting chops, the comedy chops to maybe be the next John Cena or something like that? Uh, I definitely think there's potential there. He surprised me supremely with his uh, role as Drax the Destroyer. Um, he has pretty good timing. He's great at playing that character without overdoing it. So it's definitely something that I'm interested in seeing if he can pull it off. Um, at the same time, I, I mean, I trust endlessly, you know, in Kumail Nanjiani. So... Anything that he's if he's doing something with Kumail Nanjiani, then it can't be all that bad because Kumail is at the top of his game right now, uh, and he knows exactly what he's doing as far as great comedy is concerned. So, yeah, I mean, sign, sign me up. Yeah, and I loved uh, both of the Raid movies. So the idea of Eco Oasis coming in and and being like potentially the big bad for to bounce off of uh, Dave Bautista in this movie is also very uh, exciting to me. He's one of those guys that. Um, broke out with those Indonesian action films, but Hollywood can't seem to figure out exactly what to do with him. They've, they've tossed him into small roles, and like I think he was in Furious 7 um, and things like that, but he just hasn't really made the same, the same impact that he did. Oh, he was in Force Awakens also for like a split second. Um, but oh, he, I forgot about that. Yeah, he just has not had uh, an opportunity to really do anything memorable in like a Hollywood studio system setting so i'm i hope that uh, that stuber gives him that opportunity uh let's move on to our next uh, option item and that is uh, nosferatu a tv series that's coming to amc that is based on joe hill's horror novel so this is pronounced like the classic vampire film but it's actually spelled n-o-s four a and then the number two and it's spelled that way because this is the uh, license plate number of a villain in this story. So the story in question is about a young woman named Victoria McQueen who has a secret gift for finding things. She rides her bike across this uh, covered bridge and when she is, she's trying to look for something and she just rides her bike across this bridge and then it, it turns into a portal essentially that takes her to wherever she needs to be. Uh, and then the other character that she's sort of facing off with in the story is named Charles Manx, who is a, a child uh, abductor who, who sounds like a real bad dude. He has this, uh, he drives around in a 1938 Rolls Royce Wraith with that Nosferatu vanity plate. And uh, apparently with his old car, he can slip right out of the everyday world and onto the hidden roads that transport them to an astonishing and terrifying playground of amusements that he calls Christmas Land. He feeds off the souls of children and then deposits what remains of them into Christmas Land, which is a twisted Christmas village of his imagination where every day is Christmas and unhappiness is against the law. So that sounds terrifying to me. Um, I, I grew up watching Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and there was this child kidnapper in that oh movie gosh. that really like gave me nightmares as a little kid and I'm sort of getting some shades of that uh, from this description. Uh, HT, it sounds like you probably saw that movie as well. 
Oh, yeah. It traumatized me as a kid. The design <laughs> of those child kidnappers looked so nightmarish. It was horrifying. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, in, in bringing it back to Nosferatu, this um, AMC has picked up 10 episodes of this series, and it's going to debut sometime in 2019. Um, Brad, have you by any chance read uh, this this book or any of the others by Joe Hill, who's the son of Stephen King, by the way? I think we've established that I'm pretty terrible at reading books. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, so no, I have not read read any of uh, of the books in this series. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything. Oh, the only other, um, I guess, relevant piece of information here is that Jamie O'Brien, who is uh, involved with Fear the Walking Dead, is going to be the showrunner on this show, and it's coming out, like I said, in, in 2019. So you can read more about that uh, at Slash Film, as with all of the things that we talked about. Uh, one more story before we wrap up today, and that is that HBO has fixed its pay gap between the genders thanks to one of its big stars. HT, tell us what's going on. Yeah, so HBO is starting to proactively try to close its own gender pay gap with the rise of Time's Up movement and the sort of uh, greater focus on gen- on pay disparity in Hollywood and in TV. So they... Um, HBO executive Casey Boyles admitted that the phenomenal success of Big Little Lies, which is executive produced by Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman, has impacted other shows in sort of a way that they didn't expect. So he said in a Hollywood in, in an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, uh, one of the things that co- that's come out of thinking about the Time's Up movement in some conversations with Reese Witherspoon, who's really at the forefront, is something we've done recently. We've practically gone through all of our shows. In fact, we just finished our process where we went through and made sure that there are no in- inappropriate disparities in pay and where there were if we found any we corrected it going forward so this was a direct result of the time's up movement and it's something that i think they're trying to sort of preempt um after netflix uh received sort of was at the root of a scandal with uh, the crown and the pay disparity between the crown star claire foy and her co-star matt smith and uh, we're starting to see this more both in tv and in hollywood though it seems like television is sort of leading the way for a woman uh brad what do you think about this i mean it's only good news like uh with a big company like hbo taking the time to actually make sure that there's no uh gaps as far as wage discrepancies between you know men and women like it's it's only a a good thing for the rest of hollywood to hopefully follow suit and realize that they need to stop you know paying women less than they're paying men um i mean if anything the the payment should always be you know based on the the work that you're putting in and you know and that kind of thing and you know it's, it's the fact that there has always been consistently you know less dollars to go around for women as opposed to men doing the same job is, is ludicrous. So I, I think it can't be anything but good. Uh, HT, I assume you're pleased with this. Yeah, I'm really happy about it. Um, I'm definitely excited that there are more female TV stars who are both in front of the camera and behind the camera and sort of realizing their worth and lobbying for paychecks that are on par with their male stars. Uh, we saw it with Grace Anatomy star Ellen Pompeo, who's now the highest paid actress in primetime TV. And we also saw it with um, the new female Doctor Who, Jodie Whittaker, who um, made news for ensuring that she was paid just as much as Peter Capaldi before her. So I think that it's really exciting that more women are sort of emboldened by the Time's Up movement to try to get the pay that they deserve or at least pay on equal footing with their male stars and we 
yeah, it's like it's something that it, Hollywood is still working on because we saw a couple of months ago when Mark Wahlberg was paid um, way more than Michelle Williams was for the reshoots of All the Money in the World, although he ended up donating that money um, to a charity. I can't remember which exactly it was, but I think it's really good that uh, dialogues and conversations are happening around this and that um, at least the industry is starting to move forward in how they're treating this disparity. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with all of what both of you just said. And I think, uh, you know, bringing up the Mark Wahlberg thing, it seems like he was sort of shamed into that because of the big outcry <laughs> that happened around there. And it seems almost like HBO is um, is like benefiting from Netflix's shame in a way by by being proactive. And, and you know, I applaud them for going through and, and doing this. You know, they didn't have to do this. They could have waited until their own scandal broke before they mm -hmm. reacted to this situation instead of actually going through and, and doing something about it. So uh, this is one of those small steps, I think, that is, is one of those things that people can look back on as like a real um measure of progress and like it, it yes it's ridiculous that it took this long but i'm glad that it's finally happening so uh, i think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of slash film daily before we go where can we find more of your work online ht let's start with you you can find me writing every day at slashfilms.com and i'm on twitter at htranbuoy and brad Always on the SlashFilm.com. You can check me out on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton and also on iTunes with my podcast called Go Flix Yourself. Awesome. You can find me on SlashFilm.com as well. You can track me down on Twitter at Ben Pears. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features that you can find at SlashFilm.com. You can subscribe to SlashFilm Daily on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com and make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Send us some emails, guys. We're, we're looking for them. Uh, also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you all tomorrow.